welcome to Rebelling Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad. It incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and most definitely, messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. My friend Dennis and I recorded this pre-COVID-19 pandemic just a week or two before, and the majority of our conversation is around a significant health scare that he went through, which stemmed from some anxiety that he was dealing with. We discussed resets in life and the importance of having a reset, the importance of pausing and reflecting on your life. And a lot of times we can do that on our own. We might not because we're in a routine, but life will throw resets at us. And Dennis talks about a health scare he had, which was significant for him and his family. But right now we have found ourselves in the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. And this is an opportunity, regardless of what the world's going to look like after this, what is our world going to look like? What is your world going to look like? You have the opportunity to pause and have some internal questions with yourself, some dialogue with your spouse and with your family. What are things that are important to you? What are things that because of the COVID-19 aren't important anymore? This is an opportunity for us to reflect and Dennis and I talk about some questions that are helpful for you to consider as you are reflecting on this reset that is in front of each of us. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the episode, please share it with somebody and please write a review and rate it. It helps to push this to the top of the searchable lists. Thank you so much. Enjoy this wonderful conversation around fatherhood. All right, here we go. Another episode of Fatherhood Field Notes. Dennis, what's up, friend? How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me, Ned. Dude, I've been excited to stop working and hang out with you this nice Thursday afternoon. Yeah, it's beautiful out here. It's. I wish it was raining, but it's sunny and beautiful out. Yeah, no, I'll take this. I'll take yeah? this. Yeah. I just wish there was more snow. Sure, some people like that. Yeah. <laughs> You're the sun guy. People. Yeah, I'll take the sun and the warmth. I can, I can drive to the snow. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Well, we've known each other for a few years now, met in the same industry, and I'd love for people to get to know you. I'm excited to have a conversation with you about fatherhood. So for people to get to know you a little bit better, how old are you? I'm 46. 46. Yeah. And how long have you been married? I've been married 20 years. 20 years in May. Dude, that's a big deal. Yeah, Yeah, it's huge. Wow. So 26 years old, got married. 20 years later, here you are. Here we are. That's a big accomplishment, man. Yeah, no, we're definitely um, we've definitely been looking at it like a milestone. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah anything it's, planned, exciting for a twenty year? Uh, yeah, we're going to Hawaii. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So, yeah, we're going to. I should say we're going to Hawaii without the kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how many kids do you guys have? We have three kids. And uh, what are their ages? Uh, we have two older girls, sixteen and fourteen, and a boy who's ten. Okay, is that boy? Like super taken care of or beaten to a bloody pulp? Uh, pretty well taken care of. He might <laughs> argue differently, sisters. but he's doing pretty well. He's doing pretty yeah, good. There's well. enough. The age spread between him being 10 and my oldest being 16, she she really loves him okay. and takes care of him. And my 14-year-old and him have a lot of moments where they get along 
fantastically well, and certainly plenty of moments when they when they well, they're learning yeah. what communities like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Your oldest is a going to be a senior next year. That's right. Yeah. That's kind of wild, right? Yeah. Like that's another marker. Yeah. That's coming up. How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I've I've been okay with it for um for the most part just, you know, she's been, you know, she's she's the oldest. We've got 3 and I've always just kind of um seen it as like, you know, this is just what's happening. This is what's happening next for mm. for for her. Um I woke up uh kind of in the middle of the night, maybe like 2 weeks ago and was just extremely sad about the fact that she's going to be most likely, you know, moving out of the house, going away to college, even yeah. though, you know, hopefully she'll come back and who knows, you know, kids do different things these days than, yeah. than maybe when we were kids. But um, for the first time, it like hit me. I was like, oh, this is, this is it. Like, this is the time we get with her. Um, there's no, there's no redo right. on that time. And I hadn't, and that sounds really like, well, yeah, duh. Like that's, that's what happens. But for me, um, I just hadn't, it hadn't really hit me. Mm. I was like, I kind of kept thinking, oh, we, you know, we've got time. Every we've day is time. the same. It's yeah. been the same for the last 16 years. Exactly. So what did you do with that? Like, what did you do with that uh, feeling? Anything? I, t- I talked to my wife about it and she was like, yeah. She's like, don't talk to me about it. It makes me sad. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, she's felt that way for a while, you know. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to, she's busy. My daughter's really busy. Right, so I, right. tr- I try, I, I, what, what to say that I did something with it um, would probably be generous, but I definitely um, have been more intentional about like trying to pull her into whatever we're doing as a mm. family because she's she's involved with extracurriculars and she's she's become just extremely busy with with all stuff that I'm super proud of her for and right. I'm excited about. So it's not like I'm trying to get her out of doing things that I wish she wasn't doing. So when we do get her. Um, uh, I try to like make sure that you know she's she's a part of it, whether or not you know that lands as like love or affection or just kind of like, hey, I know you're worn out, I know you're tired, but come hang out with us. Yeah, um, you know that's the that's the best I've I've got right now. So, that's good though. It's yeah. that in between time that I'm finding is really most valuable. You know, even the morning, the saying hello, the saying goodbye, the text throughout the day. Like even my 13 year old, she's my oldest. It's I'm trying to make sure that I'm still being intentional with the time because she, you know, last night she got home at nine 30 from being at a school yeah. f- fun event, which she'd much rather be at. Right. You know? So it's like, I want to spend time, but I also want to be the person who's helping guide her of how to know how to live out in the world. Right. So it's like a weird, it's weird, but yeah, you got this milestone coming, which is, which is exciting and celebratory, but also going to have those moments where you're like, Ooh, yeah, it's, it's exciting sad. and celebratory. We're, it's still so unknown. You know, we don't, we don't know, you know, colleges and things right, like that right. aren't, aren't, you know, aren't settled. So for us, I think it's very much the unknown. Like, well, what does, what is, what does life look like in two years? Mm. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's been, um, it's been a sad uh, kind of realization for me, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm honest. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, that's good because I think either A, you know, somebody listening, they've already been there, you know. And others are not there yet. So being in tune with, hey, what's going, what's going on? Yeah. Not every day looks the same. That might make us think differently. Um, okay. And what do you do for a living to provide for your family? Yeah. So I do business development, marketing, and sales development for 
mostly in the insurance industry primarily. Um, But yeah, I do it for, for businesses, people who sell into businesses. I help them sell better. Well, you're, you seem like you're very good at what you do and in tune with, with creating a story that's unique, you know? Yeah. So dig it. Yeah. All right. As you've been a father, what have been some of the best resources to you all the way from when you first found out you were having a kid to toddler, elementary, middle school, now high school. Is there anything that stuck out to you that's been a good resource or even just for you personally, like a mentor book, something like that? Yeah. Um, I I always kind of wished I, you know, I would say like I I had, you know, a mentor. Um, But I would say I have a mixture of just people that have either been in my life or popped into my life for even a period of time who, uh, who modeled some of what it means to be a father uh, and what it means to be um, a present father, Mm. Um, which is, I think probably if I, you know, if I've, strive for anything um and i don't it's probably not a very lofty goal but just to be just to be present just to be around um that does does that mean super involved maybe maybe not um but just to be available and you know there was a a a dad who he wouldn't even remember my name he was a he was a a guy that my wife and i stayed it was family friends we stayed at their house um for a weekend one time but i remember just chatting with him and i remember him and this is before we had kids Mm. i remember him but my wife and i were had been married you know for maybe a year I remember him telling me um how he had kind of always orchestrated his career and his kids were all out of the house at this point he had always kind of orchestrated his career about being home when the kids were going to be home Mm. so that he was just kind of wanted to be available and I remember even at the time not having kids thinking that was pretty cool and I I think um and I, I tell that story as um kind of just a a single point in time when there are different pieces that I've like picked up along the way from right. watching other people right. rather than I say like, Oh, I read this book and it really changed my life or I met, you know, I had this mentor that like guided me through it. I, I, and then, you know, later in life, I've, I, I know a lot of dads now, yeah. um, some that, you know, had older kids than me and some that have younger kids, but you know, just watching them and, and the way that they think intentionally about being with their family like watching you, Ned, like in the way that you are with, with your family and, right on, thank and, you. and other buddies that I've seen who uh, have a real point of view of what it means to be a dad. Um, so I think taking all those those data points and kind of um, being like, oh yeah, I, I could try to do better there or yeah. that's something I hadn't, I hadn't thought about before. Man, it's so cool. You think this one moment in time, somebody was just honest and vulnerable and, and not like it was maybe even this big, huge conversation that you and this dude had, but he shared his life with you. I mean, you stayed at this house and he shared this piece of information that helped you orchestrate a little bit of the way you've designed your career. And you go, wow, that's cool because it helps everybody listening. All of us to know that we don't have to write a book. We don't have to speak on a stage. We don't, all of us are responsible to not only to our family, but to other men yep. to, to be real with each other to go like, dude, this matters. Right. You know, and not even realizing sometimes how that will be carried forward. You know, it just shows the need that we have for each other um, and the responsibility we have for each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I, I, mean, I think one of the reasons probably it stuck out um, was, was because as guys, you know, at least in that at that point in my life, but even still, you know, there's not a lot of guys pulling guys aside and being like, 
hey, here's a, a way to think about fatherhood with, especially without it coming across as like preachy or, uh, hey, like I'm I'm nailing this. Yeah, like, like I've got you, it figured like, it out. Yeah, I've got it yeah. figured out. Let me show you how I how you can nail it too. And I, you know, that's why I mean that's you know one of the reasons I love your podcast, but also just kind of your vision for what you're doing because you're not out here saying like, hey, I'm Ned. I've got fatherhood. Yeah, let me in. give you the ten steps <laughs> yeah, to uh, be the perfect dad. You're more like, hey, let me let me like admit that you know we all are a mess and yeah. we can figure it out together and we're better better together. Yeah, so, but I'd sure. say that's something that that has been my experience certainly just with with other dads when they're when they're vulnerable when they are honest about failure, um, but also about uh, about where things have worked and yeah. and looking back on decisions that they said, hey, you know what, that actually actually change things being home when your kids are home from school might actually make a difference okay so you said something a minute ago i'm so glad you said that last line again because you said be present but not necessarily uh involved in everything yeah and i'm not that wasn't my advice that's just my honest answer about no but i I am yeah i like that though because it's not even that you have to be like quote unquote super dad where every day you're just so involved in your kid's life to almost the detriment of you and your kid. Yeah. But you're available. You have a presence for them. And just that one piece alone is pretty healthy. I think for our kids to just be around your dad, even if it's, even if you are doing something in the house or around the house or something, it's not like every single time I'm fixing something, I have to be like, come on, son, we're going to fix this together. (laughs) Right. Which is cool. I love that. But just the fact that you're around doing some of those things, right? Whatever those things are, that you're visible and yeah. around. So I like that. Yeah, yeah. And I want to fully acknowledge that that's that's not something you know being around you know during you know I work I I have the privilege to work for myself, and so and some of that is by design. Um, I didn't always work for myself, but uh, I understand that that's not the case. For everybody so I don't want to say like oh every, you should just just be more present meaning you know be at home in the middle of the day when your kids are home well that's not the reality for for everybody so yeah but I, but I think but I think letting your kids take you for granted isn't the worst thing in the world hmm. having having them know that dad's available and around um, and that kind of being something that they are used to isn't it to me that's an okay thing yeah that, that they don't ha- I don't I don't want my kids to think that's special even though it, even though honestly, it is, it is. for for dads to be, you know, around. Yeah, yeah, and I think as you say that, it's good, you know, because depending on your job or your career or whatever, presence doesn't equal time, right? You know, so it, it, the time that you are around to be present, um, is something to be aware of. Yeah, yeah. Well, the podcast is called Fatherhood Field Notes, and it's you know kind of comes right off of what we're talking about is we don't always just sit and talk about fatherhood with, you know, two men talking about it with the hopes that there's other great dads listening to it or striving to be great dads, which just means intentional and present, right? Um, So fatherhood field notes, open up your life a little bit. And then the theme is rebel and create and rebel against status quo, rebel against something that you think a man should be or the world told you a man should be, but not just rebel to be rebellious and break something, but to make something, create something beautiful out of that. So what's something that you're currently or 
life focus rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of it? Sure. I, you know, I, I thought about this a bit and thought about kind of, um, you know, themes for my life and, and what I kind of rebel against. And, and there are probably a, a few things. Um, but as far as what I really feel is something that I, um, I, I come back to a lot is this idea of uh, being willing to acknowledge uh, I, I'm gonna be careful of what I say here because I because I don't I don't want this to, to be some indictment on guys or, or dads but I feel like we're not always willing to acknowledge our failure mm. um, or that that we're just broken that things are broken um, I think when we think about this your your idea of rebel and create um, I want to take a step back before that and say, well, if we're going to rebel against something as it relates to what we're told as men we need to be or what we should be, let's first acknowledge that something's broken there. Mm. Um, and and I feel like, and I'm speaking for myself here, I don't acknowledge that enough. And I think in my, at least in my interactions with guys, we don't acknowledge that enough. I think we get a pass a lot of times on um, being like marginal dads, <laughs> on being like marginally. Like that's just normal so that it's okay? Yeah, that it's just normal, or 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 that we 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 get patted on the back when we when we you know when we go do something with our mm. kids, you know, the fact that yeah. you know, okay. I mean, and I say I put myself in that category because um, you know, if my wife's got something at night to go out, and I, I I think other guys might relate to this, but like if my wife is going out and doing something in the evening, and somebody asks me to go out and do something, I'm like, oh, I'm. I've got kid duty, like yeah. To even use that term to say I've got kid duty, like my wife would never be like, "Oh, I've got kid duty." Right. It's just her life, like it's just the like sea she swims in, you know. Like it's not, it's not this unique thing. And so, um, you know, and and also, you know, I think to to that point, like sometimes we get, you know, we get credit for having, oh, like oh, look at that dad did this thing with his kid. What a great dad, you know. Um, yeah. and I, and so I, I want to be careful, um, because I, because I don't want to kind of like destroy the, the spirit of this because I actually think it all plays in part, but what I want to do is, and it is not acknowledge it and be like, oh yeah, we're, we're broken. We're screwed up. We're, we're pieces of crap. Um, to acknowledge it and say what's broken and like, so what's so, broken. Yeah. So what does that mean? Um, well, you know, I think if you want to, if you want to take a step back, further from that and say, you know, kind of what's broken with like male, male culture is, um, let me first start by saying, you know, I'm happy that my, my kids and particularly my girls are growing up in an age where women are more empowered, hopefully than they've ever been, where they are told that they can do anything and that they have a seat at the table and all of that. Um, I think if we're really honest, that's not the that's still not the case. I think if we really look at the world we're living in, we we have not cracked that yet. Just because my daughters grow up feeling like they can do anything doesn't mean the reality out in the world is that is that they're not going to be treated differently, that they're not going to have to deal with sexism, that they're not going to have to deal with misogyny, that they're not going to have to deal with some of these things. And So then is the problem really it's the the way that men view themselves? I think that I think that the way men view themselves and and think that that good guys 
think that that we're not part of the problem because mm. I think it's really easy for us as good guys and I'll, and again I'll throw myself in that category like I'll throw like pretty much every guy I know in the good guy category we're not sexist we're not you know we're we're not trying to stop women from achieving whatever that they they can achieve but we're but we're part of a culture that doesn't really acknowledge that we actually have a more of a responsibility there than just not being jerks um uh and just like as an example i mean uh cheryl sandberg wrote this from facebook wrote this great book called lean in you're probably familiar with it like is it's it's a book primarily for for women and for young women to like get a seat at the table like lean, like saying like lean into um be, being part of the conversation this is this is a lot around work um, okay around you know office politics and that kind of thing um but i think it it is applicable to any any setting um and the whole idea is for for women to speak up and to have a voice and to you know that that if you're being called bossy it means that you probably have an opinion that like like we have created this word like oh she's bossy um and that was meant as a pejorative term but in reality um it just meant that that was like a strong you know empowered girl yeah or woman and and so and so where i think um where i think that doesn't go far enough when it comes to guys is like yeah i i want to like lean in to to girls and to women like lean in but it also requires guys i think at some degree to say take a step back like actually let's make space for this because it is very natural for us to so I so I, you know I'll give you one more I'll give you like a, a real life example. So I have a podcast myself, and I I try to get a pretty good mix of men and women on my show. But if I reach out to twenty men and thirty women, I'll probably get yeses from fifteen men and maybe from five to ten women, uh, and that's just anecdotal. But I think it's indicative of guys feel like, yeah, I've got something to say. Like, yeah, like I'll come on your show. I, you know, I've certainly got something to say that's worth people listening to. Um, I think I get the sense that women for a while have been told that their voice isn't important and doesn't matter. And so it becomes harder to, to kind of raise your hand and be like, yeah, I want to. So I think, I think it's uh, both. So, you, you know, talk about like something I rebel against. Like I, like I want to be someone who's known as empowering and supporting women, um, and rebelling against this idea that just being just a regular like good guy is like enough to make sure that they have a seat at the table. Yeah. So I mean, as I hear you say all this, what I hear more is not the women, but the dude. You know, because because. Like if I think of how much my wife does for our kids mm-hmm. and that nobody acknowledges, but if I were to do, uh, you know, an eighth of the things that she does, right. I'm like a hero, yep. right? So it's more that the dude needs to know that being a good dude isn't enough. Right. So that's not what makes you great is those little like pats on the back. So then who is the who who is to point at, right, to say... um is responsible for the way that we view ourselves. So I don't necessarily think it's always this like men versus women thing. I do think that it's easier for me 
because of life and culture and how things are, it's easier for me to do some things and I get more accolades for some things. However, I do think that if, if I say the word motherhood, I do feel like that means a lot more like mother's day. I feel like means a lot more than father's day. Sure. Now that might be the only day that we acknowledge (laughs) that. Okay. So I do think that I love what you're saying in that, it's not, it's not good enough just to say this or just, just like do dad duty. Okay. There's more to it than right. that. Like step right. up your game a little bit, but then is the finger more pointed at us to just go like, Hey, you just need to serve more like without it being about any accolades. Like what's the thing is, cause it, I don't know that it's necessarily like, Hey, make more room for the women. I think it's, it might be more, I'm just in this conversation. It might be like, dude, take a little bit more responsibility for yeah. who you are supposed to be not who the world lets you be yeah no i think that's a good point and i and i i don't i'm not here to pretend i have the the answer like the some solution to this to this problem i think um what i see is is that we do get we as guys we get a lot of a lot of credit for doing things that um that are just like some basic things that we should yeah. be doing as as good dads and right. and or as just as good people as as good uh, yeah human par- beings par- as good partners to our that's spouse, good yeah as a good you know? teammate to our spouse yeah, um, yeah. and and uh, you know I don't want to come across as like uh, I've got this styled in my my wife does the majority of everything with our for our kids I mean she you know when my kids are getting signed up for summer camp this week um, you know. Cause it's, you know, March, why wouldn't you make sure that you're signed up for summer camp? Like my wife's dealing with that. Yeah. Like she's, she's the one going down to the city office cause the, the online system was broken and it wouldn't even occur to me, you know, I'd be yeah. like, well, it doesn't work online. I guess they're not going to camp. Like, you know, <laughs> she goes and gets in line and you know, guess what? She sees, you know, 10 other moms that she knows that are doing the same thing. And, you know, and, and where I live, you know, there are a couple of dads. I live, I live in a college town. So you've got people with more flexible schedules. They work at the university or whatever. So a couple of dads, but that, that type of thing is still, so that's why I always, I say like, I put myself in that, that category, like just, just trying to make myself aware of the fact that, um, I get a pass for a lot of things, uh, like related to these relationships and how and how women are viewed and how women are treated, um, that I get a pass on a lot of that because I'm a because yeah. I'm a decent person. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And I and I mean, before you had said you don't want to be you want to be careful not to be hard on dudes, but maybe that's a little bit more what we need is is a little bit more pressure. Yeah, because the only person who might be giving us some pressure around this is our spouse. And that's easy to say she's bossy or whatever else we might (laughs) say. Or she's stressed out because she's, you know, dealing with this or, or you know what, she doesn't know what I do and how hard I work and whatever. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot from dudes is like, she doesn't know, but the, and, and, and yeah, maybe that's true in some instances, but it's not your reality. And her job never changes. Right. Like, dude, have you ever done the dishes? I mean, and this sounds sexist, I guess to say that, but I, in our home, it happens to be that I work most of the time and Sarah stays home with the kids. So in our home, she's home more. And so it just happens that she does the dishes more than I do. Right. 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 And when she's gone for four days on a girl's trip and I 
do the dishes for five kids for four days. I'm like, damn, this sucks. <laughs> right. Right? right. And so it's not to say that it can't be roles reversed. It totally can. That's the age we live in. And that's rad, but it isn't the norm. And I totally agree with you that there's still these things and to be aware of it as a dude, one for yourself. Hey, be a good dude because you should be a good dude. Yeah. All right. So I want to jump into a topic about resets and a, and a health scare you had recently and, and having kids and having kids like middle school, high school age. I want you to share like, how did you figure out the health scare and like, how did you process it? Sure. So about a year ago, um, I was having some anxiety and it was just kind of generalized anxiety, something that I, I struggled with before. Um, something that I know a lot of, a lot of people, uh, deal with. Um, but I hadn't really had that level of anxiety for almost 20 years. Um, Mm. and, and, but it felt very familiar. Mm. Um, it was a lot of it, it was centered around, um, kind of just health in general. I was worried I was sick. Um, Oh, okay. Uh, and the only symptom that really was concerning to me was I did, I had some blood in my stool, but frankly, you talk to other guys and that's not like the most abnormal thing in the world. Um, right. but I went to, but thankfully I went to, to my doctor. Um, but truth be told, I really went to him because of all the anxiety, like mm-hmm. the blood on my stool. I, I wanted to tell him about, but I really thought he was going to be like, yeah, you know, it happens, you know, whatever. Um, and thankfully he, he, he was actually pretty focused on me. He was like, Hey, you know what, like, what's this anxiety about? And, you know, he actually, he actually asked me, he said, um, do you have a friend who like recently had some kind of diagnosis? And I did. I had wow. a, I have a, a buddy who, who a few months before that had a cancer diagnosis. Um, that hadn't really occurred to me like that, that was any correlation, but he's like, yeah, this is what happens. He's like, at your age, people, friends get these diagnoses and people come here if they think they're sick. He's like, but he's like, let's figure out, you know, to get the anxiety under control. But, um, but this blood in the stool, um, I think you should go get a colonoscopy. He's like, you're not normally you don't get them until you're 50. He's like, you're, you're otherwise totally healthy. And he actually said, you don't have to do it. He's like, but, um, but I probably recommend Precaution, it. Yeah. go do it. And so I said, I actually, cause I was still on the fence. I was like, it sounds like a horrible procedure, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I was like, um, if it were you and he's about my age, the doctor, and I was like, if it were you, would you do it? He's like, yeah, I'd probably do it. So I said, fine. So I scheduled it. Um, uh, was kind of, my anxiety kind of diminished kind of after at least talking to some, just Mm. talking to a medical professional about it. Like I didn't end up having, you know, to get counseling and stuff. I thought I was going to, you know, go see a therapist and do all this stuff, which I had done in, you know, ages ago. Um, but really, um, I was doing pretty well. I was still like, you know, not looking forward to the the procedure, but I went, I went and had it. And uh, woke up kind of out of the, you know, this drug-induced stupor that they put you in to, to do it and um, was told that they found a mass, that they found a tumor, um, a pretty significantly sized tumor in, in my colon. Now, did they – were you – was it just you and your the doctor or – Yeah, so unfortunately, um, <laughs> that was just me and the doctor. Uh, she came over and I was still kind of like half in half out of it. And she came over and looked really concerned. So, you know, if anybody's uh, a doctor out there listening, like, you know, 
go ahead and put on a happy face no matter what, <laughs> especially if you don't. So she looked really concerned and she just kept apologizing and saying like, I'm really sorry. We found, we found something. I'm really sorry. Then she brought my wife in and I really couldn't talk. So I was like, tell my wife, you know, like, so she went through it again and basically said, we found this, this mass. Um, uh, that, that led in, I'll, I'll, you know, fast forward. Um, that led into basically, um, the initial tests, they, they took pieces of it when they do a colonoscopy, they take pieces kind of automatically if they find anything. The initial tests came back that it was not cancerous, mm. that, that they didn't find cancer in the tissues they collected. Um, the two doctors that I talked to initially were still the one who had done the colonoscopy. And then, um, I ended up meeting with a surgical oncologist. Both were really suspicious that it was going to be cancer because of its size. So I had all this comfort from these initial tests, but I had medical professionals telling me, yeah, but we don't usually see stuff that size. That's not cancer. It was kind of, it's kind of the, the short story. And no matter what, because of its size, it needed to be, it needs to be cut, gone. It needed to be cut out. Mm. So I, I had a surgery where they took a foot of my colon. It's called a colon resection. It's it's pretty significant surgery. I was lucky enough to you know have it laparoscopically, which is just a little simpler way, a little less invasive way to mm. do it. But still down for the count for like four to six weeks, kind of to like to like full recovery. But that's heavy, man. But from the time, so from the from about the time um, that they first found it to getting it completely cut out um, was like month and a half ish, I guess. Um, and and I'll fast forward to the end of that story uh, on the cancer side of things, which is there was no cancer when they when they got it out, they biopsied it. Um, it was not yet cancer it is the type of tissue that becomes cancer so i'm not here to say i'm a cancer survivor i didn't have cancer i don't know what that what actually having a cancer diagnosis is like i don't pretend to but i sat in this space for a good month between the time they found it and the time they conclusively knew like what it was or what it wasn't um of really just waiting and not knowing and the work that that does on your soul um is pretty intense. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I'm careful about this story because people who actually have had a cancer diagnosis and whether they beat it or they're still battling it, um, they, they have something profound that I, that I don't have in the, you know, that I, that I didn't experience and don't want to pretend I experienced, but the work that it did on me to kind of have to, um, live in this space of not knowing, um, is pretty significant and the timing that I went through it. Um, so I, 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 I want to be clear, uh, your listeners don't know me. Like I, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I don't spiritualize things too often. Like it's not a, it's not a part of my vocabulary to like spiritualize things. For me, it's impossible to reflect on this story and even being in the moment without understanding the spiritual component that was happening so so timing wise uh it i got the i got the um the original uh they found that they found the tumor originally um on uh during holy week so on the thursday um before good friday Mm. um maundy thursday maundy thursday yes thank you (laughs) um and 
Um, so sitting in that, sitting through like Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday and Holy Saturday, um, kind of sitting with, with that, uh, the weight of that wasn't lost on me. Hmm. Um, it gave a different meaning to, to this, this, this end of Lent period of waiting, which we're, you know, we're in the midst of Lent right now. So right. it's all very, it's all very fresh to me. Um, but I, I cycled through these moments of down on my knees, uh, in tears, um, just saying like, what, what next, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. Um, between that and complete and utter peace that I cannot explain that is not from within me, Hmm. um, that I, I experienced both of those. Um, and I've always been one to feel like I most vividly and clearly see the face of God in darkness, in my own darkness. And that's why I, I, it's hard for me to talk about this without bringing in a, to really talk about it. I'll I'll talk about it from a public service service announcement. Hey guys, go go talk to your doctor if you got anything weird going on, like period, like just go do it. Um, but, but for me, kind of the work that it did on me. And so then you asked about like kind of the hitting the, the reset button. Um, for me, my life has been uh, a life filled with hitting the reset button. Um, most of the times, though, intentionally. Um, this is this is one of the few times, not the only time, but this is one of the few times where my life hit the reset button, and I and I got no say in it. Um, but for me, I've I've whether it's um, kind of a a, a wanderlust or because I you know because I have this like entrepreneurial um, vision that I kind of want to do something new, um, whatever it is throughout my life, I've had these experiences where I've purposely hit the reset button, um, where it doesn't make really any sense. Um, you know, where I've had a business and then it was successful and doing well. And I sold that business and where I had a job that was a really good job and like like I quit the job and yeah. went and started the business. Like I, I have these kind of milestones throughout my life. Um, but this one, um, this one was a little different in that, um, I didn't have, I didn't have any say in it certainly. Um, but it, it made me kind of view all that other stuff that I've tried to do and that I've kind of orchestrated seems so, uh, unimportant hmm. and really kind of like, you, you, it's it's cliche to say that like a thing like that really puts things in perspective, but but the reality is, um, you think all these other things are so important. In the midst of of that, I had just I had sold my business, um, not quite a year before I went through all that. I had sold my bi- my business that I had had for nine years. Mm. I had sold it, and I sold it to go do something new. Um, the new thing that I was doing, I thought was like really important and that was like the you know that was the work that I needed to do kind of whatever to be happy to be fulfilled to to create the life I wanted or whatever um the reality is when this thing hit all of that had to stop I I I it was me my business was basically me um so I had to and I had client you know the business I was in I had clients I had to go to all my clients and tell them that I had to hit the pause button uh while I went kind of through this ordeal and they were all awesome but none of them none of them that had to hit the pause button with were going to continue to pay me 
right. I wasn't right. doing work for them. So it's been almost a year. Yeah. So how does life look different? And we can end, we can end kind of with this is after this reset, after this thought, you know, of, of you sitting there, sitting through life is really real and I'm in this dark spot, but I'm feeling super close to God and life and what is or isn't important. How has that changed anything looking back a year later? Yeah. Um, I think the most clear thing and the most clear change so far has been in really not worrying about all this other stuff. Like, like work is, it's, it's important, um, but it's not the thing. Mm. And like going back to what it's meant to like fatherhood and to, to family to really just be embracing the time that we do have. You know, I mentioned that I was, I got sad about my daughter, you know, going away to college. I, I think that that has a lot to do with this like change in perspective that I have that, that time is short. Like um, I hadn't thought about time really as being short in that way before. Um, Do you think that before this incident that your identity was more wrapped up in your job? um, Yeah. And I, and I honestly would still say that that's not a, that's not a, like a a done deal. Like Mm. I, I still feel that I have some knowledge now that I didn't have. Um, So knowledge, knowledge, you know, doesn't mean that things have changed. It just means that you have uh, now the ability to change. Um, So I think a lot of my identity still is kind of wrapped up in what I do, but the importance I'm willing to place on that and the ability to say, you know what, um, not my will, but yours is a, has a totally different meaning Mm. than it ever used to. It's used to be something that I, that I would say, um, but not really, not really live. Um, and I feel like, uh, the ability to just say, okay, this isn't, I don't get to make this decision. I don't get to I don't get to choose here. So there are certain things in life where we are given like the opportunity to to choose. Yeah. Right? And I've always been a believer that when we have these choices in front of us, there isn't like God's will or my my will. Like those aren't the the tension. I always feel like God's given me whatever information I have or the ability to go find whatever information I have to make a choice with the brain he's given me. Yeah. To make a choice based on the people that he's put in my life. To make a choice based on what what seems, given all the data, seems like the best decision. And I've always said, like, good luck getting outside of, like, God's will if you're, like, basing it on that. Even if things go, in our opinion, poorly. (laughs) Even if things don't work out the way that you hoped or, or wanted to. But I still would struggle with decisions uh, and just struggle with like, okay, but I, you know, I want to make the right, the right call. And, and do you think there's a right call? um, No, I generally, I, I think, I think there are some things where it is. Yes. I do think there are some things in our life that it, 
let it is pretty clear. But but a lot of times people just get stuck on not making a decision but because. I, but I think ninety ninety yeah to ninety nine percent of the decisions that we need to make, and a lot of times it's especially the big ones that we need to make. We think we got to make the right decision, and I think my it, my my it, like my testament to that is because um, I have made a lot of reset decisions throughout throughout my life and I've struggled and I've struggled with them but I always I always came to a piece about them before I actually made them which mm. is to say that this is the right decision for for me for my family for right for right now um, and having this kind of reset mentality is like and it might not be that doesn't mean that this is the decision forever so this idea that you you're gonna get it wrong um doesn't actually like really translate for me like it doesn't really it doesn't it's not really a because if you made the decision and you move forward with it it's the right decision even if it turns out poorly yeah 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 and i that how much freedom dude that's pretty freeing it's pretty freeing and i and i you know i say that um and I've had this conversation with people and they're like, well, then you live without regret. And, and I don't actually, mm. I don't actually live without regret. I actually, and I, maybe, and maybe I just miss, maybe, you know, I need to look regret up in the dictionary or something because I feel like I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay living with regret. I have decisions that I've made in the past, but like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have made that decision. It was the only decision I probably could have made at that time, but I wish I had chosen differently because i wonder if you know but the, if you didn't have regret you wouldn't be able to make future decisions right right so the regret if you look at it is really a signpost so it's not a failure right if you use that regret not to like feel crappy about yourself right but you use it to inform yourself of exactly. future dentist decisions exactly so that's the cool thing is because you're not living, and I don't want to say like hippie mentality of like just free whatever no. happens, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, from, it doesn't matter. It. Yeah. But you're willing to make a decision, say that was the right decision, even if it felt like it turned, not even felt, if it turned out poorly, yep. I was able to gain knowledge from that so that it helps my, my future. Yeah. Um, okay, two last questions and then, and then we'll end because we are just at an hour. Um, but I feel like we could talk forever. One, if some dude is trying to, what would you say? How do they re do a reset right now without there having to be like uh, a health scare? Yeah, I would, I would um, encourage anyone if they want to reset, don't do it. Um, don't wait till don't do it via health scare. Yeah. Don't wait. So how can you do a reset? Yeah. So I, so I think, you know, it's, it's really circumstantial and I don't want to pretend to know, um, you know, that to, to say that, you know, in any situation you can just you know pick up and do a reset but i you know i i i i learned about this idea i I think you know in a in a college like psychology class and i've and i've hung on to it um it's called a paradigm shift um it's not it's nothing new to a lot of people but for me it's it's been something that i've always enjoyed doing as a paradigm shift so as simple so i would I would do this um, to start off with. Like, if you commute to work, drive a different way to mm. work. Like, like, and I and I say it. I know that's super simplistic, but um, but that's something people can do. But it's something you can do that actually will change your perspective. Like, well, hmm. actually, you will see something new. You will think about things in a different. You won't have the same thoughts going through your head on when you have to like pay attention to. And even if you do it via Google Maps, you know, um, you're not gonna 
you're paying attention in a different way to that thing that you've been doing the same way for the past, you know, five, 10 years or whatever it is. Um, and then expanding on that, like really like in your daily life, like the things that you've always done a certain way, just try doing them differently. Now I can go to big extremes. We, you know, my wife and I took, you know, took our family to Europe for two months while I was still working. You know, I wasn't like I got to take, you know, two months off work, but I had the flexibility to do that. That's a huge paradigm shift for the entire family and for, for all of us. But I embraced that concept early on that, um, you can do these, these resets. Um, it doesn't have to be a full life reset. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be like world changing, but just to say, if you're stuck in a rut in something, rather than actually upturning your whole life, don't change, change a couple of things like, Changing and I, you know, you know where I want to give this advice because at our age, the unfortunate thing is, um, a lot of, a lot of guys are going through something, mm. you know, in their mid forties. Mm-hmm. I feel like almost every guy I know is going through something. Um, I feel kind of fortunate that mine, you know, my midlife crisis, you know, happened to me. Now you're um, the one with the wisdom, and, and I got some, and I got some reset. But I see guys, you know, I see guys, you know, doing simple stuff like maybe, you know, taking big like backpacking trips by themselves and things like that that are cool to, you know, getting divorced, um, which is which is a bummer. And what I want to say is like before you make those big earth shattering decisions, make some small ones, like make some just make some changes about like what you're doing in your daily life. And not to say that that's going to fix everything, but it can really give you a different perspective on what the, what the world looks like and what your day looks like. I love that, man. That's so good. And, and practical, like you could practically do that before the big stuff happens. Right. Oh, okay. Last question, man. You are going to leave a legacy through Dennis's daily decisions. You're going to leave a legacy and not financial is what I'm talking about. But but character wise. So if you were to peer into the homes of your children, uh, mm. and they're kind of at your space, what are the things that you hope to see that are things that you ingrained in them while they were in your care? That's a really great question. And, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who probably has a little bit of a hard time with like the idea of legacy. Um, because it's not, it's not something I, strive for in like a traditional sense although not to say that I wouldn't love it if if my kids were like oh my you know my dad passed this on to me and I'm I'm this way because of my dad that'd be awesome they might not even acknowledge it but so that's that's where I guess I was going and I I think it's something I touched on earlier I think in our conversation was um having having my kids take my presence for granted um I want that to be the legacy so when you talk about like they might not even know it like like having my kids think it's the most normal thing in the world for your dad to just be around yeah, and available that's and, cool um and i and, and and i say that as somebody who wants to to continue to work on that but that is not a foregone conclusion. for sure i'm not i'm for not sure. just sitting at home like hey like let's go play i mean yeah. i'm not i work hard i got my own things that i like to do and they don't always you know they're not always stuff I want to do with the kids. Yeah. Um, I like how you said they're, you almost said they're not kid friendly, yeah, but that then that sound, leads that to some other right. ideas. Yeah, that sound right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, exactly. So, so, but, but 
when I think about my legacy, if if my kids think of me as a piece of the furniture that always is just there, I love it. Um, that's okay with me. Yeah, man, I love it because you're setting up that this is how family is, and it goes even into the stuff you're talking about with men and women, and like putting so much emphasis on these things of like. It's like, can't we just be together? Like, it's normal for us to be together. It's it's not a pat on the back for me to be around. This right. is how life is, is we're together. We also have our individual things that we like to do. Dad still has his own identity. Right. But he's also a part of this family. Yep. And that's normal. And that's normal. And yeah, for exactly. our culture, man, it's not normal. Yeah. And, and if, if in 20, 30 years, man, that the work that we are doing by being present dads helps to set that up. And we, I mean, you got three kids who are probably going to go have families. Maybe I've got five kids who are probably going to go have families. And like, that's the way that this thing spreads out. Right. Which is cool. Yeah. Dude, Dennis, uh, is, it's always super fun talking to you. Thank you for opening up. Thank you for sharing something serious that happened with you and your family. And, and thank God that it turned out the way that it did. Absolutely. Um, but that it also served a killer purpose to want to enlighten you and all of those that you get to share the story with. And so thank you for being an intentional human father, husband, friend, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Well, thank you. And same to you, Ned. Um, I really love watching what you and your family do and, and how you uh, interact with them as a dad. It's pretty right awesome. On. Thank you. Thank you. What another great conversation around fatherhood. I so respected and appreciated Dennis's willingness to share, you know, from, from experiencing anxiety to having a friend who had a health scare to I'm going to see the doctor and kind of going through that process. What does that look like? And to look at it from the perspective of, okay, this is a reset. What matters? What's important? Who am I? Where am I headed? What matters? And each and every one of us is going through that right now with COVID-19. If we look at it as that an opportunity to reset. So I encourage you to do so. Hey, I want to thank all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters, especially right now. You set a tone in your home for peace and conversation and being in tune with your families. Don't miss this opportunity to press into who your family needs. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. And as always, please write a review. Thank you for listening. Share it with somebody if you liked it. Go follow us on Instagram and Facebook so you can be in tune with all things rebel and create.